so it was a little bit more than 50 years ago now, uh, that Dr. Alfred uh, Tomatis was confronted with the most curious case uh, in his, uh, of his 50 uh, years uh, as an otolaryngologist. Did I say that right? I got that right. All right. For those of you who didn't spend all week practicing that word, it's an ear, th ear nose, throat specialist. And you owe me, buddy. Rich and I had a bet before the service. <laughs> I was up in my office practicing that one word. I didn't get the rest of the message at all, but that one word, by golly, I was going to say it. Listen, his dad was an opera singer, so he spent his years growing up traveling with his dad. He would stand on the wings of the stage and listen to his dad sing, but his family, mom and dad, determined that he wasn't really fit for the stage, so instead he took second choice and became a doctor. Uh, his dad would refer other singers to him, and one renowned opera singer had mysteriously, uh, who his dad recommended, had mysteriously lost his ability to hit certain notes, although they were well within his range. I mean, he, he should be able to hit those. He just stopped being able to. So he had been to other ear, nose, and throat specialists. All of them thought it was a throat problem. But Dr. Tomatis thought otherwise. So he used a sonometer, uh, which helps deter, uh, discover determined hearing. And uh, he discovered that even an average opera singer produces 140 decibel sound waves at a meter's distance. That, by the way, is slightly louder than a military jet taking off on an aircraft carrier. And the sound inside their head is even louder. Uh, and so the discovery led to a diagnosis. The opera singer had been deafened by the sound of his own voice. So selective muteness was caused by selective deafness. What he said was if you can't hear a note, you can't sing that note. Now, I tell you that story because of how he said this. Check out what he said. The voice can only reproduce what the ear can hear. Think about that for a moment. The voice can only reproduce what the ear can hear. On your notes, Mark Batterson said this. If you don't silence those competing voices, they'll eventually deafen you. You won't be able to sing God's song because you won't be able to hear his voice. And if you aren't willing to listen to everything God has to say, you eventually won't hear anything he has to say. And let me just add this. If you, if you don't listen to anything God has to say, you won't be able to reflect him in your life, through your life. So my name is Mike. I'm the lead pastor here. If this is your first time with us this morning, thank you for joining us. Uh, and I hope that this morning is helpful for you. And if you're watching online, uh, thanks for joining us there as well. Uh, I hope that you'll be here soon. Perhaps uh, you'll come during one of our five, if you live close enough, during one of our five Christmas Eve services. I hope that, uh, that you all will be, are already thinking about who you're going to be inviting and uh, are praying for the folks that you'll be inviting to our services as well. So this month, we're looking at how God whispered to people involved in the very first Christmas story. Last week, we talked about how God whispered through a star to the wise men. This morning, what we're going to do is see how God whispered to Joseph through an angel in a dream. So let's check this out. Matthew chapter 1. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. We're going to stop there for a moment because it's only eight words, but it is eight words. Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. 
Joseph was betrothed to Mary, the second step in the process of Jewish marriage. Uh, this step, first step would have been the engagement arranged by parents, uh, perhaps years ahead of time. The betrothal would have lasted a year, uh, allowing the couple to get to know one another. They were, during that time, considered husband and wife, although they didn't live together, they did not sleep together, but only death or divorce would legally dissolve a betrothal. The official wedding ceremony would have taken place 12 months later, uh, and the couple would be formally married. So what we're talking about when you read these words uh, is the excitement of an engagement. It's the plans. It's the dreams. It's the hopes. It's the fun, which, by the way, I hope are all words that when you think of Christmas, those are words that describe Christmas in general. Plans, dreams, hope fun, right? I hope those words uh, describe that for you. Uh, and I think I remind you of this just about every year because I want to make sure you keep this in the forefront of your thinking. And I don't know if you found this to be true in your own life or maybe in the life of somebody else, but I have found Christmas to be the great exaggerator. So if you are a happy person the rest of the year at Christmas, you are just going to be over the top, totally annoying to everybody around you, kind of a happy person, you know? Uh, if you're normally sad at Christmas, I mean, it, Christmas time can almost just take you, I mean, just takes you more deeply into it. If you're a practical joker, usually Christmas is a showcase for you. I've received this story already twice. I don't know if it's coming around again or if it's being done again, but this is the picture uh, that goes with it. And the email said this, the good news is that I truly outdid myself this year with my Christmas decorations. The bad news is I had to take him down after two days. First, the cops advised me it would cause traffic accidents as they almost got wrecked when they drove by. Second, a 55-year-old lady grabbed a 75-pound ladder, almost killed herself putting it up against my house and didn't realize he was a fake until she climbed to the top and she was not happy. He writes, by the way, she was one of many people who attempted to do that. So, man, I've seen a lot of great Christmas practical jokes uh, that I've Man, that's the best. Uh, listen, maybe, listen, maybe for you, when it comes to relationships, and for many of us, I wonder, we have this Pinterest picture of how Christmas uh, will go with our family. I mean, everything is just going to be, you know, great uh, recipes, decorations, kind of perfect. There'll be a fire you know, in the fireplace, and there will be great dishes on top of the table, and everybody's getting along. Your parents who act weird every other day of the year are going to act normal when the family gets together. Your children are going to act like they weren't raised by wolves. Aunts and uncles acting normal. Brothers and sisters and cousins, everybody normal. We all picture this kind of Facebook-worthy you know, image, but I wonder if it isn't fair to say that for most of us, you know, you get the family together, it's more like the Maury show uh, inside your house, which takes us, by the way, back to our verses. Uh, this is how the birth of Jesus came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Joseph faced this horrible dilemma. He was engaged to be married to a woman who was pregnant, and he knew for a fact it was not possible that he was the dad. And Mary kept insisting that an angel had appeared to her, and she'd conceived this child by the Holy Spirit. He, he just couldn't believe it. And quite frankly, my guess is if we had been there in that day, 
we would not have believed her as well. He, he had believed in her integrity. He had trusted her faithfulness. But now, not only was she pregnant, but she was lying about how she had become pregnant. Verse 19 says, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from his sins, from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. He took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. So we're going to take a little bit closer look uh, at this story to see what it is that God whispered to Joseph. And perhaps, my guess is even today is whispering to us. And here's the first thing. At Christmas time, God whispers to us to extend grace, not just at Christmas time, but maybe especially at Christmas time. That's verse 19, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, so he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, and really the grace is in these words, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. And I'll tell you, he had a lot to be afraid of. I mean, first of all, how's he ever going to be able to trust her again? If an angel hadn't come and said this to him, how would he ever trust her again? He may have been afraid of a disease. I mean, who knows where she's been? He certainly would be afraid of other people's reaction to him if the baby is born at the wrong time. It wouldn't be just Mary that was the victim of accusing fingers. It would be Joseph, too, and his whole carpentry business was built on integrity. If you've ever been disillusioned by someone that you know and that you trust, you can understand a little bit of how Joseph must have felt every time he looked at her or thought of her. He had to be heartsick. I'm wondering, I'm guessing, that if Joseph's anything like me, if revenge might have not been on his mind. I don't know if you ever read Calvin and Hobbes, if you remember uh, them. Calvin's this crazy little six-year-old boy. Uh, He's got a stuffed tiger named Hobbes who comes to life when no one is around. Uh, And one of their Christmas cartoons shows Calvin. He's agonizing over a letter uh, that he's writing to Santa Claus because he's been disillusioned uh, by previous Christmas gifts, and he just doesn't know what to say to him. So he writes this, Dear Santa, Every year at this time, I send you a letter of what I want for Christmas, and every year you callously ignore it and bring me practical things I don't want at all. What's the deal? Are you insane? Have you gone senile? Can't you read? Or are you just a vindictive, twisted elf bent on destroying little kids' dreams? (laughs) So Hobbes reads the letter, and he says, you may want to sleep on this one. And Calvin said, I know, but it sure felt good to write it. Um, And I wonder, you know, I wonder if during that dilemma, that maybe while Joseph maybe contemplating these thoughts, if, if, he, if he remembered or read Proverbs chapter 6, jealousy detonates rage in a cheated husband, wild for revenge, he won't make allowances. Nothing you say or pay will make it all right. Neither bribes nor reason will satisfy him. I wonder if those words from Scripture ran through his mind as he recognized those feelings inside of him. 
but his sense of reason, his spirit of compassion prevailed. And so he decided he was going to distance himself from Mary and rebuild his life. I wonder if maybe running through his mind, opposite Proverbs was Deuteronomy, where God says, it is mine to avenge. I, I will repay. Because betrothal was more binding in that day than an engagement today. Remember I said that? And because they were considered married and because the relationship could only be broken by legal decree of divorce or by death, the Old Testament law gave Joseph the right to disown Mary at this point or even to have her stoned to death for adultery. There are two avenues he could pursue to end this relationship, a public divorce. It included a court case where Mary would be exposed as someone who had had premarital sex. She would be exposed as someone who is deserving death according to the Old Testament law. She would be uh, discovered as someone who is scandalous. All bad news for Mary, especially in a small town like where they lived. Joseph's other option was much more private. It took only two witnesses. Only two other people would have to know. Uh, And it would be very hush-hush. And this is the grace that I think Joseph extended to Mary. I want to make sure you get this. I put it in your notes. Joseph is choosing to show more love to Mary than he believes she has shown to him. Because at this point, before the angel speaks, he doesn't believe her. He thinks she's lying to him. And so he's showing more love to her. Look at what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, because this is going to be the secret to extending grace. Treat others just as you want to be treated. That's the secret. He doesn't say the way they deserve, treat others the way they deserve. He doesn't say treat other people, you know, according to justice. He says as you want to be treated, which is, it just sounds simple, <laughs> you know. It, it, but if it's simple, why are there so many relationship problems in our lives and in the lives of our friends? I wonder how many of us would say that we know somebody who right now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but if you were to ask, if I were to do that, I wonder how many of us would raise our hands to say, I know somebody right now who has a relationship problem in their life, in my house, in my friend's house, in a neighbor's house. I wonder how many of us would say we know lots of people because it keeps counselors busy, it keeps divorce courts full, and it keeps homes in turmoils. And you know why this is so hard at Christmas time? Holiday seasons, often rather than promoting harmony, are a time for conflict because you are going to see relatives you just don't like. And all families have difficulties. There are jealousies. There are grudges. There is resentment. There's misunderstanding. There are those special relatives whose elevator doesn't quite get to the top floor. Everybody knows it causes conflict, and it requires extra grace. And here's what I mean by that. It means, if you're going to extend grace, it means you will not be a mirror this Christmas. And I wonder if you know, we have all most likely been a mirror at one time or another. Being a mirror means you're nasty to me, I'm going to be nasty to you. If you're you're being rude to me, I can be just as rude right back to you. But Jesus says we treat other people the way we wish other people, regardless of how they've treated us, we're going to treat them the way we wish they would treat us. It's especially when it's hard. We'll do that. So here's what grace looks like. I just want to make sure you get it. It looks like being sensitive to other people. 
Grace looks like sensitivity. Even when Joseph is reeling over the news of Mary's pregnancy, he didn't try to ruin her reputation, didn't try to drag her through the gutter. He was sensitive to her situation, and he did what he thought would, his plan was to protect her feelings. Grace also looks like being considerate to other people. Real friends do not kick you when they're down, when you're down. They're considerate. All right, here's the next one. God whispers to us to ask for outside assistance. So in the story of Joseph, that's what we're seeing here. God is whispering to Joseph. Uh, In verse 20, it says, But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. So Joseph is about to make the absolute worst decision of his lifetime, but an angel, an outside source, stops him from making this decision. We need to say to Jesus, I need your help with this. I can't do this on my own. I need you. That's James 1 says this, if you don't know what you're doing, pray to the Father. He loves to help. You'll get his help, and you won't be condescended to when you ask for it. Ask boldly, believingly, without a second thought. David Gehring uh, worked in an office with another guy named Dave who was just impossible. I mean, it was difficult to tolerate Uh, And he wasn't uh, partial. He irritated everybody uh, in the office. His attitude was condescending. His speech was abrasive. He never cooperated with anyone. I don't know if that sounds like someone you work with or go to school with or live with. But uh, the whole office staff avoided him at all costs, and he finally got the message that nobody in his office cared for him. And with this characteristic obliviousness that seems to accompany, you know, people who are this way, he asked one of his colleagues, why does everyone take an instant dislike to me? And his co-worker said, well, it saves time. Uh, (laughs) Some people require more grace. Uh, more outside help to get to that grace than others do. Here's the last whisper. This is the most difficult, I think. God whispers to us to take bold actions. Sometimes counterintuitive. In verse 24, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she had given birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Joel Gregory calls Joseph the forgotten man of Christmas. And this may surprise you. I don't know if you've ever noticed this before or not, but there is not one single word uh, attributed to Joseph recorded in Scripture. Zero. I don't know if you've noticed that or not. We we have nothing recorded from him. He's talked about. He's talked to. But not one single syllable do we have recorded uttered from him. But here's the deal. When God whispered, he was listening. When God whispered, he did what he was told to do. His actions speak louder than any statement he could have made with his mouth about faith and love and commitment. And I, just, I just wonder how many people we know do this, or they know what the right thing to do is, but they don't do it. He took Mary home, and he determined he wasn't going to have any kind of sexual relation with her until Jesus is born. You know, a lot of people say, you can't control that. How can you expect anyone to control themselves sexually? I mean, it's silly to teach abstinence in high schools to our students because they can't possibly control their hormones. Why would anybody uh, who is an adult who's not married be expected to not be involved sexually? Can I just say it takes courage to make that kind of decision? But it's a decision you have to make. 
And that's a bold action. Now let me ask this. Was Joseph some sort of spiritual giant? Because we tend to do that to people. We read about in the Bible, uh, when, especially when we see something like this, we go, man, he was so much more than I could ever be. But that's not, that's not who Joseph Joseph was a righteous man. But was he perfect? No. One perfect man. Was he sinless? No. One sinless man. But did he do what he knew was right? In his book, A Mile Wide, Brandon Hatmaker shares the story of his first trip to Ethiopia. Ethiopia. He went to work with his friend Steve Fitch, who is the founder of Eden Projects. Deforestation uh, has devastated parts of Ethiopia uh, as generation after generation have just stripped the forests uh, bare leaving the land barren. So Eden is this reforestation effort with a vision to plant 100 million trees. That's kind of their goal. By the time Brandon had boarded the plane, he was having second thoughts about the trip. Number one, he had a fear of flying, so he wasn't real sure why he was even getting on an airplane. He didn't want to leave his family behind for that amount of time, and he wondered what difference he really was going to make. And so he's sitting on this airplane feeling horrible about his attitude. He closed his eyes, and he prayed. God, I'm sorry. I'm trying, but I just don't get it. I don't want to be on this plane. I feel like I'm wasting my time. I feel like I'm wasting money. If this is important to you, will you please overcome my ignorance, doubt, and blindness? Will you connect the dots and show me what I'm missing? Amen. He said no sooner had he opened his eyes than the uh, 30-something Ethiopian man sitting next to him asked him why he was going to Ethiopia. And he could have given, you know, a lot of different answers like uh, community development or ministry, something general like that. But for some reason, he simply said he was going over to plant trees. That's when the elderly woman sitting next to the Ethiopian man asked him a question in Amharic. And when he responded in Amharic, she literally began to wail. As a matter of fact, she started, she stood up and she started waving her hands in the air. And Brandon said, what is going on? And he said, my mother asked me why you're going to Ethiopia. And Brandon said, well, what did you tell her? And he said, I told her you're going to plant trees. And Brandon said, what is she saying? And that's when Brandon's uh, seatmate revealed that his mother had been praying for 38 years that God would forgive her people for stripping the land. And she had been praying to God to send someone to plant trees. So before he knew what was going on, this old lady had put her hands on him and was praying and thanking God for him through tears of joy. I tell you that because in this instance, this is a prayer that this woman has been praying, had been praying for longer than Brandon had been alive. She'd been praying this longer than he had been alive, and he was the answer to her prayer. Joseph was the answer to Mary's prayer. Can you imagine her prayers when she knew she was pregnant and had to tell her fiancé, her husband in that culture, took bold action on his part and her part and for the Jews who had been waiting for centuries, 400 years at least, for a Messiah? Do you understand how Joseph is part of God's answer to their prayers. I just want to remind you of a simple truth. I reminded you of this last week. There is someone who's praying right now. 
someone who has been praying maybe even before December started because Christmas just got them thinking, maybe Thanksgiving, holidays coming, and they know, and something doesn't feel right, and they're not real sure, and they don't know the answer, and they kind of hope that something will happen. And so they pray to this God that they don't even know exists, or they're at least not sure. And you're the answer. You are the answer to their prayer. They have been asking God for something, not knowing that you're the one that God is going to send. And maybe, can I suggest, it might involve extending grace to someone you haven't considered extending grace to recently. Determining not to be a mirror. to the, It's very easy to be a mirror. When someone treats you that way, just reflect back what you've been given. Super easy to do that. But the answer to their prayer And God is sending you to not be a mirror to them, but to extend grace to them. Or maybe, maybe, maybe it's about asking for God's help. Maybe you're stuck in something and you don't know what to do. And I don't know how to, which way to turn. I don't know what to, I don't know how to act in this situation. I'm not sure what the answer is here. I don't know if I'm doing the right thing. I'm sitting on the seat of an airplane. I feel like I'm wasting my time and I'm wasting my money. And God, if this really means something to you, please do something. Someone's going to ask you a question. Or maybe your next step in your walk with Jesus is about taking bold action. I don't know what it is for you. It might include forgiving someone during this season. It might include reaching out to someone during this season. And if this is your first time here, Your bold next step may just be coming back next week, which may not sound like much to some, but to you, that's the first time you've ever gone to church two weeks in a row in your life. And I hope you'll take that step. And if you haven't done this yet, your next bold action is giving Jesus your heart. If you've never done that, it's a huge step. But to give him your heart and let him lead your life. And if that's your next step, by the way, I'm going to be right down front here, uh, here in just a moment. We're going to sing a song. I'm going to be there during the song. I'm going to be there after service. I would love to talk to you about that if that's your decision. So we thought it would be good this morning as a response to Joseph's response to God's whisper as we respond to his response and to sing a reminder to ourselves as well, a statement that we want to make to Jesus. So we're about to sing these words. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are stilled, when striving cease. My comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. So I'm going to ask you to stand. If you would, we're going to stand together. And we are going to sing. In response to Joseph's response, and as a statement to Jesus about who he is uh, in our lives, that because he has extended grace to you, that you will extend grace to others.